This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So the cleaving of the Mount of Olives takes place. It happens. And wonder of wonders, this big valley is formed. It's an escape route for Israel, it says in verse 5. Verse 5, you shall flee to the valley of the mountains. And just as Israel was pressed up against the Red Sea, the Red Sea was their barrier against which the Egyptian enemies were were going to slaughter. That was the backdrop that were going to slaughter all the Jews against that. And now Israel's pressed up in Jerusalem against the Mount of Olives. A barrier is there, and the nations of the world are getting ready to slaughter. And just as the... Wonder of wonders at the Red Sea. When the Red Sea split open, escape route, two mountains are formed, mountains of water on one side, mountain of water on the other side. So the Mount of Olives splits open, escape route, mountain, mountain, and they go through it. And just as God, in the middle of the Red Sea, took off the chariot wheels of the Egyptians, so God there, when this new valley is formed, in the Mount of Olives, in verse 5, verse 5, the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And now something wonderful happens uh, in Jerusalem on the same day, in this very same day. What a day this is. In verse 8, it shall be in that day, in verse 8, it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter shall it be. Living waters start to flow out of Jerusalem. Now, we know that the city of Jerusalem has uh, under its ground, it's built on many rivers. There's many rivers down there. Man, there's a lot of water underneath the city of Jerusalem. If you, they're, they're, and some of this water, Hezekiah brought some of this water up, and also many mikvahs were, were created outside the wall of, of, uh, of, uh, of Jerusalem, uh, 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 baptismal ponds, if you want. That they, 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 they all came from the water underneath Jerusalem. Those waters are interesting because those waters are hidden. They're hidden from Jerusalem because they're under the city. The city is built on underground living water. 
But Jerusalem is sitting on top of this water, and that hidden water underneath is such a symbol of the Jewish Jesus who is hidden from the Jewish people, yet without knowing it, they're built on him. He's there. They're hidden from their eyes. They refuse to look. They refuse to acknowledge him. But he's the living water. He's the living water. Water is so interesting. It's so, it's, a, it's the most precious substance that there is in a desert, in nature. It's, a, it's precious. The gospel is the most precious thing that, that a person can receive in life. It's like living water. It's like living water in a desert, a desert of life. It's a wonderful symbol. Water's a wonderful symbol of the gospel, of the, of the Lord Jesus. And, and so it, it talks about, in verse 8, the source of the water. Where the, the world looks and says, where's all this wonderful water coming from? Verse 8, living water shall go out from Jerusalem. They go out from Jerusalem. It's like symbolic. The, the gospel's going out from, from Jerusalem. This is really hard to visualize. It's really difficult to visualize the Jewish people carrying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ out to the world. But that's what the Lord Jesus told the Gentile woman that he met at the well in John 4.22. John 4.22, he says, you, know, you worship, you know not what? Salvation is of the Jews. He says, Israel may be far from God today, but that's only temporary because God is going to purify. God is going to cleanse. God is going to get his way with Israel. He says in Malachi 3.3, 3, the last book in the Old Testament before the great silence in Malachi 3.3, 3, he said, God said, is spoken about God. God shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. When we bring the gospel to the Jewish people, we're investing in the salvation of the world because, verse 4, living water shall go out from Jerusalem. Israel, the Jewish people, may be dry bones today, but they won't be dry bones tomorrow because of Ezekiel 37.3. Ezekiel 37.3 he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord unto those dry bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Dry bones, you shall live. So these living waters, they're described very specifically here as they're not still, they're flowing. They're flowing with such an intentional directions. It says in verse 8, verse 8, the living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. God never intended that the saving message of the gospel should be stagnant, like a stagnant pond. He always intends the gospel to be intentionally moving, carried to the lost, as he said in in, in Mark 16, 15, Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. These living waters, they don't stop at certain times of the year. They're constantly flowing, it says in verse 8, in summer and in winter shall it be. No matter how many people drink from the waters of the gospel, the living waters, it doesn't dry up. No matter how cold it gets, how much persecution, the river keeps flowing. No matter how hot it gets in the summer, the river keeps flowing. 
No matter what the hardships are against believers, the river keeps flowing, the river of God's life in the gospel. And so the living waters, they're flowing out of Jerusalem. Nothing can stop them. They keep going and going, and they, and they act like they have appointments. And then the water is flowing in one direction, and as the water is flowing, you, 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 the water could say, get, don't get in my way. Get out of my way. I've got to reach a certain people in the earth. They're very thirsty. Nothing can help them but the living water. I'm on a mission. I'm flowing to the Tanzanians. Another water says in another direction, in verse 8, some water is flowing. It says, don't get in my way. I got some thirsty Chinese I got to reach. They're very thirsty. They've been thirsty for a long time. They've been drinking from Mao's water. They've been drinking from communism water. They've been drinking from Confucius. They're thirsting again, as the Lord told that woman in, in John 4:13. John 4:13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. And all the world's been drinking of the waters of the wells that the Lord Jesus spoke about that just make them thirst again and again and again and again. But now flowing from Jerusalem is this living water and it springs up into everlasting life. And all the world is repeating the words of this woman in John 4.15, John 4.15, give me this water that I thirst not. And the living water is coming out of Jerusalem. It's being sent to all the world. It's on all the corners. Give me this water that I thirst not. And what's this living water? Verse 9. Verse 9. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord in his name one. The living water is one Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. His name singularly known as the Lord Jesus Christ. Reminds me of the time I told you before. Sat down in an airplane seat. Big African American sitting next to me. I just sat down so exhausted. I said, praise the Lord. He towered over me like Goliath. He towered over me and said in a deep voice, and who might that Lord be? I felt like a mouse. Oh God, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> he said, all right now. That's the world. The world is thirsting for living waters which represent the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6.14, 1 Timothy 6.14. Our Lord Jesus Christ, which in times, in his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the message that God gave to Israel in the so-called Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, Lord of all the earth. 1 Timothy 6.14, our Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed and only potentate. And so the world wants to know this living waters, and it's coming out of the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. The world is seeking the Jews. They, the Jews, they're seeking the Jews. They want to know. They want to learn about this one Lord, Jesus Christ. And in Zechariah 8.23, we see the picture of it. Zechariah 8.23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men, shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that's a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. Those people, in essence, will be saying to the Jew, we're thirsty, we need the living water, we know it's flowing out of your capital, Jerusalem, we've heard that you have Jehovah Jesus with you, now take us to him. 
That's the message. And then there'll be another geographical change in the earth that's described in verse 10. Verse 10, all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. It shall be lifted up and inhabit in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, and so on. So what's going to happen to the land around Jerusalem, all the land around Jerusalem? It's going to sink into a flat plain while Jerusalem is lifted up. Isaiah 2.2, Isaiah 2.2. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it, and many people should go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, we'll walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So a big change in topography here, where around Jerusalem, the land's just going to drop into a plain, and Israel will be pushed up, very symbolic of God humbling the earth while the Lord Jesus is exalted. And a great change is going to happen in Jerusalem, too. A great change in verse 11. Verse 11, men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, and Israel shall be safely inhabited, safely inhabited. You know, the name of Jerusalem, it means city of peace. Let me tell you, it's the farthest thing from the city of peace. Today, it's a city of hatred. City, I remember when I visited my friend Avi in 1992 in Jerusalem, and Avi was very sad that day, very sad because he had a friend, a very close Jewish friend. And the Jewish friend had a manufacturing business in the eastern part, eastern part of Jerusalem. Avi's friend had many, many Arab workers working in his manufacturing business there. And it happened, it happened that week that one of the, his Arab employees walked into the friend, uh, Avi's friend's office as he was sitting at his desk, took out a pistol and shot him dead. Shot him, killed him, murdered him. Jerusalem's the farthest thing from the city of peace. It's a tense place. But at this time, Jerusalem is going to be a place where there's no more destruction, no more rockets from Hezbollah and, and Lebanon, no more, no more rockets uh, 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 from, from Gaza, no more rockets from the West Bank. But as it says in verse 11, Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited, safely inhabited. Now, every person who survives this terrible death, who survives this, who's left of all the nations, they will come to Jerusalem to keep one feast. One feast. In verse 16, verse 16, it's emphasized in other words. Verse 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Now, you know, the Jews were required to appear in Jerusalem three times a year for three feasts, three times a year, Deuteronomy 16, 16, Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty. The feast of unleavened bread, or Passover, was the most important of all the feasts. It was so important to God that God, when that happened, God said, change the calendars, reset the calendars. This is now the first month of the year for Passover it was just that important because Passover is the celebration of salvation. It's the celebration of deliverance. It was God saving Israel from the destruction by the Egyptians. And so 
God wanted all of Israel to set that feast above all. That's the feast of salvation, Passover. And because, and because if there's no salvation, there's no other feast. It has no meaning. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us according to 1 Corinthians 5.7. 1 Corinthians 5.7. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ is our Passover. Christ is our Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb that John the Baptist said, this is the lamb of God. He says, God said in Leviticus 17.11 that he gave the blood on the altar to make an atonement for the soul because the blood makes an atonement for the soul. And the blood that he gave is the Passover lamb's blood, John 1.29, John 1.29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And if a person doesn't have Christ as his Passover lamb, then he has not been saved. Then the church is meaningless, the Bible is worthless, and he, nothing moves forward without salvation. Unless a person has come to God as a desperate, dirty, rotten sinner and ask God to save him from his sins, then a person's not saved. Everything starts with salvation. Everything starts with Passover. Passover is the feast to remember how we were so helpless, like the Egyptians who were in the death grip, uh, sorry, like Israel that was in the death grip of the Egyptians. We were helpless to save ourselves. We were in bondage to the devil. Never forget how we were saved. That's the Passover. Never forget how you were saved. The Passover was the cure for the thinking that I'm a good person, that I can somehow do enough good works to work my way into heaven. The Passover feast cured that disease. And we all have pride in our hearts. It's in each one of us. And we all have the pride like a disease that says, you're a pretty good person. We all have the pride that says, I'm okay, you're okay. And God says, uh, you're not okay. And God wants us to be rid of that disease. So the great physician prescribed, here's your prescription, take a good, healthy, yearly dose of the Feast of Passover. That'll keep you from thinking that you're good enough to get into heaven by your own good works. Then the second important feast is the Feast of, of Weeks or Shavuot or Pentecost. And that was during the time of the first fruits of the harvest. The first fruits of the harvest were brought to God. He says, bring them in, bring them into the temple. That was a feast that, again, humbled pride. The pride of seeing that what we have, I worked hard for what I have, I got what I worked, I got what I worked hard for, it's me, I did it. And God said, that's another disease in the heart. And so God, the physician, says, I got a prescription for you. I want you to take a good annual dose of the Feast of Pentecost, which emphasized appreciation for the gifts of God. That's why the Holy Spirit, as a gift from God, was given on the Feast of Pentecost to emphasize the gift of the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 4.8, 1 Thessalonians 4.8, God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was a feast of peace and trust because the Feast of Pentecost was not the end of the harvest. It was the beginning of the harvest and uh, you see, at the end of the harvest, then you got all the you got all the harvest, and then there's the there's another problem. But that problem is, look at all that I got. I'm set. 
I'm set here. But when the beginning of the harvest, you can't say that because you just got the first amount of it and besides you're giving it away to God. So the Feast of Pentecost is really a time when God says, you trust me, you don't worry about it. And well, well what if it's all I get in the harvest and, and now I'm supposed to give it away? Because the beginning of the harvest. And God says, that's what the Feast of, the feast of Pentecost is all about, trust. And then the third, the last feast to be kept is the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles. This is a feast which was to remember again how weak, how vulnerable the Jewish people were, how homeless they were on earth when they were in the desert for 40 years, when they lived in tents, when they were reminded over and over again, this is not our home, this is not our home, we're just passing through this. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Tabernacles tents. That's the Feast of Tents. And, 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 and for the Gentiles, who were saved during this time of tribulation, Zechariah 14, they were to keep this feast, this singular feast of tabernacles, because the Gentile believers are also to remember how weak they are and how this world is not their home. The Feast of Tabernacle was the cure for the disease. We all have this disease, this disease that says, I'm strong, I don't need God in the future, I'm comfortable, I built my house, this is my house, and God says, for that you need a good yearly dose of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the same as the Feast of Sukkot. Sukkot, which means tabernacles or tents. And in this feast today, feast today Jews build typically temporary uh, shades, lean-to shades in the back of the house with palm leaves and so forth. And we used to have meals in there or tea. And it was all to remember coming through the desert in complete dependence on God. He said, God said, there's fiery scorpions in that desert. There's heat that will fry you and kill you. There's wind, and I'm going to take care of you. And God took care of them for 40 years with food and water and protection and shade by day and warmth by night. He did it all, and that's what the Feast of Tabernacle is all about. The feast guides us on how we're to live on earth, trusting the Lord with seeing ourselves as having only green cards, no passports, just green cards, we're aliens on this earth because we're moving through. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the Feast of Harvest, that is the first amounts of the harvest. And the saving of the Gentiles are part of this harvest that God has. God has a harvest of people. When he saved the Jewish people, he also had an eye toward the Gentiles when he said in John 10, 16, John 10, 16, he said to his Jewish flock, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There's no Jewish church and Gentile church. There's one fold and one shepherd. He owns the Gentile sheep just as much as he owns the Jewish sheep. And this is how the book of Zechariah ends in this beautiful taking us through Jacob's trouble taking us through to a place where Jerusalem is a place of safety with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one true God covering the earth like the waters cover the sea with people who are totally absorbed with Christ, even to the point of having bells on the horses, bells on the horses that we constantly remind them only one person is good. Why callest thou me good? There's only one good, that's God. And Jesus is God, so he's the only good. 
good and he's the holiness. And so therefore, verse 20 says, verse 20, and that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day that's coming. All that were today in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.